thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is an evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences that happen in the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and I may be a skeptic by nature, but I do want to be a believer. I am both intrigued by the paranormal open to the possibilities of what might be out there. Join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and I present to you what is real, what is not real, and what might just be in between. I will present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports and we will see where the two meet. Join me in exposing the paranormal. This week, we are headed out to wonderful Detroit, Michigan, and I will be covering St. Aubin's House. For those of you interested in the paranormal, this is a wonderful story for you. And for those of you interested in true crime, this might be right up your alley as well. Unfortunately, in the start of this story, I really couldn't find any good records to give you much information on the home on St. Aubin Street itself. I tried pulling up tax records or really any other records for this home, and the only thing I could find is that people lived here up until the 1940s. But I couldn't find information such as when it was built, how many square feet it was, anything like that, which is kind of strange, but you'll kind of get a little bit more information on why as this episode keeps going on. What I can tell you is that this was a beautiful home in the Detroit area, which is actually pretty famous for having gorgeous architecture and really well-built houses back in the day. This home on St. Aubin Street was a two-story home with a large porch I do have a picture of the home from a newspaper article clipping that I will post on social media so you can have a better mental picture of what the house would have looked like back in its heyday. It looks like it was a pretty good sized home. My guess is it was probably a four bedroom house that was probably about 2,000 to 2,500 square feet. But what makes this home so special? That would be its history and the hauntings associated with it. Let's start this episode a little differently. I'm going to cover what the haunted reports are that are associated with the home on St. Aubin Street. And then I will cover why this home is said to be haunted. Those who have entered the home claim to have heard and seen things that they just can't explain. When walking through, the noises here were downright scary. Throughout the home, you can hear scratching sounds emanating from the walls, the floors, the doorways, and even the ceilings. Sometimes it sounds as if something is trying to scratch right through the door just to get to you. If the spirit doesn't get your attention with the scratching, sometimes they would bang on the walls or even throw doors open and slam them shut. 
The sounds of footsteps walking in the home were pretty frequent as well, even though no one else was in the house. In my opinion, the most terrifying noise that would drive me right out of the house is the sound of screaming. This sound of screaming reverberates through the home, leaving you with the inability to imagine where the screaming could be coming from, as it seems to be coming from all around you, not even a specific direction. If the spirits are not screaming, they are sometimes heard moaning or calling for someone to help them. The sounds, though, aren't the only thing plaguing this older home. There is an apparition of a man that is frequently seen. This man is never seen to actually make a sound, but he takes the creepy factor up quite a few notches, if not all the way through the roof. That is because when he is seen, he is missing his head. He walks the property and will then vanish just as mysteriously as he appeared. When you're standing outside of the home and you look up at the second story, many people have reported seeing someone's shape in the window, though, of course, no one is in the home. This property is said to be inhabited by at least six separate spirits. And the occurrences are so bad that it is said that no one will live here any longer. So what happened that has left an imprint so powerful that the living will no longer come here? Well, it all stems back to an event that happened in the summer of 1929. This story starts with a man named Benjamino Evangelista, a.k.a. Benny. Benny immigrated from Italy to the United States in the year 1904. Benny was a pretty devout Catholic, but when he got here to the States in Pennsylvania, he lived with his brother. And it was there that he began having visions and going into trances. And these visions and trances led him to believe that the visions were sent to him from God. And the visions he was having were said to be very uncatholic in nature. I don't have any accounts of what he actually saw in these visions or how long he was in the trances. All we have are some of his other writings. But regardless, he kept talking about these visions and going into trances, which eventually led him to having a falling out with his family as they were very highly religious. So Benny kind of got kicked out of the family home and then went to stay with a friend of his named Aurelius Angelino, who was also an immigrant from Italy. The two didn't know each other before emigrating, but because they had a common language and a common place they were from, they became fast friends. Benny ended up telling his friend Aurelius about the visions that he was having, 
and between the two of them, they began dabbling into their own sort of religion, which many have kind of said is more occult than religion. Then, in 1919, a horrible tragedy occurred. Benny's friend Aurelius kind of went insane. I don't know if it was the occult beliefs or if he was already just a little off, but what he did is unimaginable. It does get a little gruesome here, but it does come into play later on in the story, so I do need to cover some of the gory facts, but not all of them. If you want to skip ahead about 30 seconds, you won't have to hear any of the gory stuff. Aurelius had four children, two of which were twin boys who were four years old. In the middle of the day, he actually went into the kitchen and tried to murder his wife by bludgeoning her over the head with a club. Somehow, she managed to escape the home taking with her two of the four children. But she couldn't get the other two kids, her two twin four-year-old boys, as she would have had to go past Aurelius, go up the stairs into their bedroom, and wake them up. Though I'm sure, after what happened next, she wishes she would have tried. Aurelius went on to go up the stairs, grab the two boys, and murder them both with the club he was going to use on his wife. Then, while fully nude for some reason, he carried the two boys' lifeless bodies onto the front lawn of the house and proceeded to use a knife and an axe to fully attempt to dismember them. He then proceeded to use a knife and an axe to dismember the boys, he was able to complete one dismemberment before the policeman showed up at the scene of the crime. As you can imagine, this man could not have been right in the head and was sent to an insane asylum after the murder of his two children. To put it mildly, Benny was freaked out by the story and, of course, also had no one to stay with anymore so he left the city pretty much immediately. And when he left Pennsylvania, he ended up in Detroit, Michigan, which at the time was pretty popular because it was known for its various employment opportunities. Benny started out as a carpenter, but then began investing in the real estate market. He eventually went on to become a realtor and a landlord, and he was good at it, and was doing very well for himself. During this period of his life, he also got married and started having children. Benny, his wife Santina, and their four children moved into the home located at 3587 St. Auburn Street in Detroit, Michigan. After they moved in, Benny was still having his visions and going into his trances and considered himself a very religious man. 
He felt religion was really his calling and was to be his line of work. But we can't really say what his religion was exactly because it seemed to be a very much a mix of beliefs. He brought evangelical beliefs, mixed them in with mysticism and herbal remedies, and some even say he practiced black magic and voodoo. So definitely a lot of things commingling in his practices. With these continued visions, Benny really drove into the beliefs, believing that God was sending him these visions for a reason. The visions brought him to believe that he was a prophet of God and needed to spread the word to others. The only accounts we have of kind of what his visions and trances brought out is he wrote and published a four-book set called The Oldest History of the World, Discovered by Occult Science. He likened his books to his version of the Holy Bible and nicknamed his Bible the Sun because basically the world should revolve around the word that he had written. He stated he wrote the book entirely during his nightly trances where he would transcribe the words of God that were relayed to him right into his brain. The family's home on St. Aubin Street eventually became Benny's church. He set up the basement into pretty much a sanctuary that included some pretty weird things. Some of those things were wax figures that were hung by wires from the ceiling. And these figures represented the planet in our solar system. And of course, they were revolving around the sun. There was also paper mache characters of different gods that, I mean, they all look like people. And I'm not really sure who these gods were supposed to portray. I will admit that I was not interested in reading his History of the World book. But they're life-size depictions of people made out of paper mache and are extremely weird. I will post a picture of them on social media. Um, Keep in mind that this photo is from 1929. They're black and white. They're not very great. But regardless, be ready to be creeped out when you see them. In this creepy basement sanctuary, he would host evangelist-type sermons for his followers. But in another section of the basement, he had an entirely different altar. This is where he practiced his more occult rituals, I'll call them. And he would mix potions, he would mix elixirs, and it's even rumored he performed hexes and animal sacrifices in this basement section of the altar. He also appeared to practice some sort of voodoo or devil worship, And one example of this is he would acquire a missing woman's pair of underwear. It is said this is because voodoo rituals use the underwear to help the family find her. And it was said that if you were well versed in the arts of voodooism, these garments could help you find the person that you were looking for. Apparently, when police officers 
found these underwear, they had specific people's names attached to them by tags, but I'm not sure what the names of these women were or if these women were missing, if they were found, or maybe he was just a creepy guy into collecting women's underwear. I don't know. As you can see from what I talked about, Benny had quite the mixture of beliefs and practices, but apparently he had quite a large following, and many referred to them as almost like a cult. And while most of Benny's followers loved him and touted out how great his elixirs were and his preaching, some of the followers did become a little upset with his methods. He had provided many people with some of his herbal elixirs meant to heal ailments, and he even provided some people with love potions. And this is how he made extra money on the side. And when they didn't work, the buyers became pretty upset, feeling as though they'd paid a lot of money to be swindled by a fake elixir. For his elixirs to be administered and the psychic healings that he performed, he would charge as much as $10, which doesn't sound like much to us, but at that time, that was two, three, or more days of wages for someone and would be attributed to about $300 today. And I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty mad if I paid $300 for a medication that didn't work. Though, again, some people did claim that he was the real deal, and his elixirs and his potions worked. So, maybe Benny did have some powers, he was backed by God, or maybe it was the placebo effect. We will apparently never know because I don't know what his healings would have been, what his potions consisted of. We just kind of had the newspaper reports from that day. So now that we know the backstory of Benny and his beliefs, let's fast forward to the fateful morning of July 3rd of 1929. That day, a man stopped over at Benny's house as he wanted to talk to Benny about a real estate deal he wanted to go with that he figured that Benny would want to go into business with him on. When Benny didn't answer the door, the man tried it. It was unlocked, so he went inside. He was on his way to go into the basement as he assumed Benny would be down there as he spent quite a bit of his time down in the basement working on his things at the altar, whatever they may be, hosting sermons, and just getting ready for his religious things. But the man never actually made it to the basement, as what he found along the way stopped him dead in his tracks. He discovered a horrific crime scene in Benny's house. He immediately left the home and contacted the local police in Detroit. The police went to the home on St. Aubin Street to check things out, and what they came upon was shocking and downright gruesome. The story actually reminds me of the findings of the DeFeo family in the story I covered on the Amityville Horror House case. If you haven't listened to that case, remember that's in Season 1, and you should definitely check it out. Now, 
I don't normally cover the gruesome aspects of murders, but in this case, I have to cover some of it, as it does have a direct link to what is seen in the haunted reports. But keep in mind, the whole family was brutally murdered. If you don't want to hear about the graphic details, you might want to skip ahead about two minutes. The police walked in and found Benny first. You might think that how he was found kind of sounds normal at first. When they found Benny, he was sitting at his desk with his hands folded as if he was praying. The thing is, though, he had been completely decapitated and his head was found lying by his feet. On the floor next to his head were three framed photographs. Each picture was of a boy lying in a coffin. And while it was later found out that these were pictures of Benny's son who had died years before this tragedy. And why was this boy's picture there? Well, that is still unknown. The police then headed to the master bedroom where they found Benny's wife, Santini, lying in her bed with their youngest child, 18-month-old Mario. Mario was lying across her chest, and when they found them, Santini had also been nearly decapitated, and Mario was lifeless against her body. The other children were all found in another bedroom. They had all been killed in their beds with an axe and the three girls were between the ages of four and seven. I'm not going to get into the graphic details of the children's murders, what happened to them, how they were found, as they don't have any bearings on the hauntings. Though, again, it did strike me like a flashback, as this seems very similar to the Amityville case. The family was murdered, most of them were sleeping, no one seems to have awakened, and this just baffles me. As if you are being bludgeoned to death with an axe, there would have to be some kind of noise. I mean, screaming, the noise of the axe. I mean, how did no one in the house wake up? Could it have been associated with Benny's religious cult? Maybe the family was drugged and then murdered? I just don't know. We will also likely never know what happened, as to this day, the massacre is a cold case. Many have been questioned and even jailed, though no one has ever been convicted. And sadly, most of the evidence that could have been there was tampered with because the police didn't keep spectators out of the home, so hundreds of people traipsed through this murder crime scene, touching things, moving things, so kind of leaves you in a bad spot. But this is not a true crime podcast, so I won't be getting into the details of what was found at the crime scene, who was accused. I mean, there are very many true crime podcasts out there now that I'm sure have covered this story. So if you want the true crime aspect after this, I would suggest maybe a different podcast. The question in this podcast is, was the killing of the family 
otherworldly or paranormal? Well, no one woke up, and Benny appeared in a religious pose at his desk. There was also nothing stolen from the home, so it wasn't a robbery. The only thing missing from the home was the family dog, who actually turned up later as he had been found by another person in the neighborhood. This leads me to believe that maybe the person who committed these atrocious crimes was easily able to rid the home of the dog as he either knew the person or had the backing of an entity on their side to help them commit the crime. It is thought that a spirit on its own or in possession of a human body perpetrated this crime. And the gruesome crime stained the home in blood and left the family spirits tied to this home on St. Aubin Street. You might be wondering if you can visit the home, tour the home, or who else might be living there now. The answer is you cannot visit the home and no one lives there. That is because in the 1940s, the home is said to have caught on fire, leaving it an empty shell of a home. I will include a picture of this on social media as it gives you a better idea of what the home might have looked like, but was it the home at all? You'll have to check out Instagram or Facebook to get the answer on that, but I will post that picture for your enjoyment and kind of give a more in-depth explanation of that picture. Regardless, the home on St. Aubin Street has since been demolished, along with actually a majority of the homes nearby. The property where the house once stood is now an empty grassy lot, and it's said that no one will build here. And that is because of the hauntings and the stains the tragedy left on the property. The screams of the family still echo here, and Benny's headless spirit patrols the lot. Though I do have to poke some holes in this last myth, as if you look at Google Maps, there is a ton of undeveloped land near where this home is. Structures have been torn down and left vacant for some time. As of 2021 and this year, Detroit City Planning has been revitalizing the area. They've added businesses, grocery stores, housing complexes, including townhomes, and much, much more. The lot where the home sat is now part of this revitalization plan. There is a produce wholesaler named Pellerito Foods that was built behind the now empty lot on St. Aubin's. And per the city planning data, the lot where the home once stood is actually owned by Pellerito Foods. And what Pellerito did is they combined a few lots to make one lot. So the address of these multiple lots together is 3597. Therefore, 3587 St. Aubin Street address no longer exists. So I wonder if the food wholesaler did this because they didn't want their business associated with the gruesome murders on the St. Aubin Street 
house. You can also see that the area where the home was is being prepared for something to be built there. There's construction materials on site and it looks like some foundational work has begun. So it looks like the spirits won't be keeping anyone from building here after all. I do wonder if the new building will continue to state that there are haunted occurrences or not. Also, something else to think about is the reports of the haunted activity in the home. I found that many claims state that a fire destroyed the home and then in the 1980s, it was torn down. I could find no historical records citing that this home burned down and I looked through all the Detroit newspaper archives and had no luck. But I also couldn't find exactly when the home was demolished. But Detroit has been fighting crime and various other issues by demolishing tens of thousands of homes over the years. I mean, I looked at just one company alone has demolished over 20,000 homes in a period of five years. And luckily for Detroit, this actually seems to be helping with their crime rates and their property values. So depending on when the home was demolished, that would have a big effect on if these haunted reports took place and we can take them to heart, or if they were kind of made up over the years. But I can't comment since I couldn't actually find the demolition date. So all in all, this home and property experienced a huge and horrible tragedy. Was it because of Benny's occult beliefs? I mean, if you think about it, his friend Aurelius, who was also involved in his occult beliefs, also had family die, albeit at his hands, by being dismembered by an axe. And then Benny's entire family is killed dismembered by axes. So maybe the occult is involved. Or maybe it was a disgruntled business associate in his realty world. Or a disgruntled member of his congregation that he kind of swindled out of $10. Or perhaps his dabbling in the occult and voodooism brought something into the world that Benny didn't expect. This entity may have been evil. It may have taken out its wrath on Benny and his family or worked through someone else to do it. So this happened to Benny's friend and then it happened to him. What are the chances of axe murders happening to two families with both men practicing the same kind of religion? Maybe this is paranormal based. Regardless, There is a possibility that Benny and his family are tied to this property, not only because of the gruesome way they died here, but maybe because of the rituals that Benny practiced here, holding them to this spot. Their spirits may still be here. Residual haunting events may be playing out. There is a ton of paranormal activity reported here, so maybe don't visit here alone, and especially don't visit here after dark. Did you enjoy the episode of the St. Aubin Street Haunting? I'd really love to hear anything you might have, 
And if you have any information on what happened to the house, when was the house demolished? What happened to it? Because I couldn't really find that information. So if you know, please share it. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you rate and follow this podcast wherever you tune in, as it really does help the podcast move forward. And it will also let you know when the next episode is ready to be listened to. I will be posting pictures and links associated with this story, including the supposed picture of the burned down property at St. Aubin Street. So make sure you follow on social media so you can get more of the story and see the pictures to really understand this house. You can follow on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, on Facebook, following Paranormal Exposed, or you can always shoot me an email to paranormalexposedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for tuning in and supporting this podcast. I will catch you all next Wednesday.